here. Uh, always a joy to uh, hear you sing and to sing with you. And uh, I hope you're ready to receive more from the Lord this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you please open up to the book of Romans? And we're going to be in Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I strongly encourage you to grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you and uh, open up and follow along with us as we walk through this passage today. And if you're using one of those pew Bibles, I'll give you a page number that will help you get there quicker than everyone else. Uh, And that page number is 1008. So page 1008 in the pew Bible and uh, something to take notes on and you're going to be in good shape today. There is an estimated world population of roughly 7.8 billion people today. Of those 7.8 billion people on the planet, over 2 billion of those people have never heard the name of Jesus. What are you doing to change that? What can you do to change that? You're just one person. We're just one church, relatively small in the grand scheme of things, especially uh, when we consider how vast lostness is around the world. What can we possibly do to see the gospel go to every people group on earth? In as serious as the situation is today, and it's indeed very, very serious, uh, the situation was even more serious when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. Today, we would say that nearly half of the world's population falls underneath the category of unreached. In Paul's day, it was practically all of the world's population. Uh, There were some believers indeed, but not nearly as many percentage-wise as we know today. And so Paul wrote his letter to the Romans uh, in order to teach them how they can participate in the global mission of taking the gospel to the unreached. The question they would ask, the question we would ask is, what can we do if we understand that the gospel comes by hearing, and by hearing you can believe on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved, what can we do with this theology, knowing that there are people around the globe who have never heard the name of Jesus, That's our question. That's the question of the Roman church as well. And so Paul helps all of us understand what it is that we can do, what the mission of God is and what the means of God are to accomplish that mission. So here in Romans chapter 15, Paul is starting a long conclusion to this letter. Uh, He begins a slow descent, landing this theological plane. Uh, And in chapter 15, Paul begins to give some travel details It's pretty simple stuff, but really clear that Paul has some travel plans that include the Roman church. He has a job to take care of back in Jerusalem, and after he gets finished in Jerusalem, his plan is to swing by the Roman church and visit for a bit on his way to Spain, where he plans to take the gospel to a people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, His destination of Spain is motivated by his understanding of the gospel, what it is and the the power of the gospel to save all those who believe. And he understands that the local church, and in this case the Roman church in particular, has a pivotal part to play in that work. So my goal today 
is twofold. One, I want to clarify for us what the mission of God is for the church. Why are we here? Why does this group of people gather on Sundays and exist? What's his mission for us? And then from there, I want to clarify the means by which God accomplishes that mission through us. So I want you to follow along in your Bible as I read Romans chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 14 and go to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me as I read. Paul writes this. He says, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain." For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now, I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they're obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Have you ever received this sort of letter in the mail? Uh, It's a letter from a person who is going on a mission trip. Or maybe they are going to the mission field to serve full time. And the letter tells you about the work they're going to do. And then it asks you to pray for them. And it also asks you, if possible, to help support them financially. You ever received a letter like that? They're fairly common in church life at times. Did you know that Paul's letter to the Romans is the world's thickest, most complicated, most robust missionary support letter ever written? Romans was not written as just some doctrinal treatise, as like a theological textbook. This is a letter by which Paul is describing what the power of God is for salvation of all people, 
and what he's doing with that, what he intends to do with the gospel. He is arguing for his ministry and his theology, and then he's asking the Roman church to join with him in his work to get the gospel to where Christ is not named. It's an incredible piece of literature, an amazing letter written for the purpose of garnering support to get the gospel to unreached peoples. And so here in the very beginning of this passage, Paul speaks to a common theme that he hits throughout the letter, and that theme is the mission of the church. What has God put us here to do? Why does the church in Rome exist or the church anywhere exist? And we need to clarify this mission statement, this umbrella statement, because it guides the rest of our study in this passage this morning. So let me give you a very succinct summary of that statement. What is God's mission for the church? God's mission is the spread of the gospel to all people. God's mission for us, the reason we're here, is the spread of the gospel to all people. Paul references that in verse 16 when he says uh, his purpose is that the Gentiles would be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. His purpose is to see them hear the gospel and to say yes to faith in Jesus Christ and become a part of this family of faith. That's God's mission, therefore that's Paul's mission. And throughout the letter, he has highlighted this over and over again. This same mission is given by Jesus at least twice between his resurrection and his ascension. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his followers that their task is to make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to receive Holy Spirit power by which they will be his witnesses in the city of Jerusalem, the region of Judea, the adjourning region of Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel has always been a global gospel. And the mission of God's people has always been to make the gospel known in every group of people on planet earth. So this is the mission of the church. This is the umbrella under which the rest of our time in this passage exists. And so having set this as the mission of the church, what follows in chapter 15 are the ways in which this mission is fulfilled. Ways the local church sees to it that God's work is accomplished for God's glory. And so what I want to show you here in Romans 15 are three ways God's people fulfill God's mission and it begins here. The first way we fulfill that mission, God's mission is fulfilled by missionaries who go. God's mission is fulfilled by missionaries who go. Verses 17 through 21 give us a very personal look at how Paul understands the work that God has called him to. Uh, Paul says in verses 17 and 18 that his life is focused solely on making Christ known by word and deed, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. Paul is packing a lot of power. Not because Paul's powerful, but because God has outfitted him with power to make the gospel known. And so God has enabled Paul to take the gospel all the way from Jerusalem, he says from Jerusalem, around to Illyricum. Now, ancient Illyricum is modern-day Albania. It would stretch from Albania uh, north to Croatia. It's the eastern shore of the Adriatic Sea. And so Paul says, I've taken the gospel from Jerusalem by the power of God. 
the Holy Spirit in me. Words, deeds, signs, and wonders. I've taken the gospel from here all the way around this northern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. But I'm not done yet. I've got work still to do. We've made it to Illyricum, but Spain is on the horizon. And there they have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells them in verse 20, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So I won't build on someone else's foundation. But as it's written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Paul's desire is not to pastor one single church for the rest of his life. Paul's desire is to give birth to as many churches as possible for the rest of his life. Paul's unique call from God is that he would live his life, give his life as a missionary who is spreading the gospel and starting churches as many as possible. And his passion to do this comes from his reading of Scripture. Here in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah 52. When he reads Isaiah 52, he thinks of Spain. He thinks of people who've not heard the gospel. But when they do hear the gospel, they will understand, they will believe. It puts fire in him to make Christ known when he reads what the Word of God says in Isaiah 52. So Paul's calling to live a life uprooted for the sake of the gospel is a distinct call of a missionary. And Paul knows this. He knows it's a unique call. It's not for every person. God has not called every individual, every believer, to go in the same way Paul has. Notice he doesn't tell the Romans, pack your bags, you're coming with me to Spain. He tells them, I'm going to Spain, and you're going to help me get there. So it's a unique call from God into missionary service to uproot his life to uproot your life and to go make Christ known where he is not known. And so it puts this question in front of us this morning. Could it be that God is calling you specifically to missionary service? The call to be a missionary can come at any age. It can come at any station of life. It comes to people of every education level, every type of professional experience, did you know that if you have any other job but pastor, you are preeminently qualified to be a missionary? Pastors, generally kind of worthless on the mission field, but teachers, mechanics, engineers, farmers, coaches, translators, these are the types of skills that perfectly qualify people to serve as missionaries around the world. So I wonder if anyone in here is being called by God into missionary service. How can you know? If you're a high school student, college student, or you once were a student sometime in your past, and you are feeling this sense of call from God, how can you discern that? Well, if you sense that God might be leading you to missionary service, I want to encourage you to pray a lot. Spend a great amount of time not just searching how you feel about a thing, but what does God's Word say about this? And how is God leading and guiding you? Pray often, pray always about this call. And then invite people you trust who walk with Jesus into that discernment process as well. If you have family members who walk with Jesus, ask them to pray with you and to discern with you God's call in the missionary service. 
And if you're a part of this church, you have pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers and brothers and sisters in the faith and spiritual fathers and mothers who would be glad to pray with you and discern with you God's call on your life to the nations. That seldom is God's call settled in isolation. But through our relationships with one another, we invite each other in to pray and discern with us to help us hear clearly the call of God on our lives. And for those of us who are not called into full-time missionary service, still we are to embrace the nations where we live. Every believer should have a missionary heart and a missionary zeal, though we may not possess the same unique missionary call. And did you know that living right here in the greater Boston area gives us a distinct advantage in connecting with people from all across the globe? The nation's are in this city and in this region. Let me give you one example of an opportunity in front of you. Maybe you've heard over the last couple of years about a possible genocide taking place in China among a group of people known as the Uyghurs. There is zero chance of you getting into Uyghur territory in China today. Zero chance of any of us in this room getting into that place. But did you know there are two Uyghur restaurants in the Boston area? There's one in Cambridge and there's one in Malden. Today, you could eat Uyghur food and you could meet a Uyghur person and you could invest in their business and you could start a friendship, a relationship, and walk with them to the cross. You have that opportunity today. Is there any better missionary service than eating for the glory of God? I don't think so. That's brilliant. And so today, you can meet these beautiful people and people from so many different countries and cultures who we would otherwise not have access to, but God has brought them here and the gospel is within their reach if we will go with the gospel to them. So though we're not all called by God to missionary service, we can live as missionaries where we are right here, right now. How's God's mission accomplished? It's accomplished through missionaries who go. Second, God's mission is fulfilled by churches who support missionaries. It's fulfilled by churches who support missionaries. So in verses 22 through 29, Paul gives really precise travel details. And these are the parts of the Bible that I really nerd out over. I, I love theology. I love doctrinal stuff. But when Paul says, here's my travel plans. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to do this. and I'm going to come here. I, just, I love that sort of real life information that we get in so many of these letters. And so Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. And here's his plans. Uh, I'm sending you this letter, and then I'm headed back to Jerusalem. And the reason I'm going back to Jerusalem is because there is a famine that's hit that region. And there are so many people within the Christian church in Jerusalem who are starving and suffering. So I've taken up an offering. I've got money from Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. These Gentile believers are rallying to financially support and provide relief to Christians who are starving in Jerusalem. And I'm going to take that gift to Jerusalem and deliver it to the church. And he wants to do that in order to solidify the unity and the relationship between Christians from a Jewish background and Christians from a decidedly non-Jewish background. So Paul says, I'm going to take this money back to Jerusalem once I've delivered it, I'm coming to you. I'm coming. I've never been. I've wanted to come before, but I haven't been able to. 
because I've been working in this window of area from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now that that work's done and Jerusalem gift has been delivered, I'm going to come to Rome. I'm going to hang out with you for a while. And then with your help, I'm going to take off and go on to Spain and make Christ known there where he has not been known. Again, important to note, Paul didn't tell the Roman church to pack up their bags and come with him. He knows he possesses this unique call from God to make the gospel known where Christ is not known, but he needs their assistance to get to Spain. I'm coming to you. I want to spend time with you. I I want to enjoy you for a while, and then with your help, I'm going to Spain. Isn't it amazing that this relationship between churches and missionaries is still the same today? Local churches still are in the business of supporting missionaries to get the gospel where Christ is not known. Here at South Shore Baptist Church, one of the primary ways we do this, one of the primary ways we support missionaries is by partnering with them financially. And the money that makes it possible for us to do that as a church is money that comes from you. It comes from your commitments to our missions budget. That's the tool we use to budget from year to year our missionary giving and then to give those funds out to the missionaries whom we know and love and pray for. So the question to you is, in what way are you funding the spread of the gospel to the unreached? If it became illegal tomorrow to give money to missionaries, would there be enough evidence in your checking account that you've been breaking the law? In what way are you funding the spread of the gospel among the unreached. Now, some people, some Christian people who don't give to missions will say that they don't have the money to do so. And I don't know anyone's finances but my own, and I barely know them. Uh, So I trust that you know your financial situation. And indeed, there are times in our lives when every penny in our pocket belongs to someone else. That's true. But also, many times, Christians who don't give to missions, aren't suffering from a budget problem. They're suffering from an obedience problem because we can afford what's important to us. We can give to the things that matter most to us. And if we are not giving financially to support missionaries and their work around the world, it says something of what we value and what we don't value. It says something about how misaligned our hearts are with the heart of God. And so starting next week, uh, we're going to ask you to pray and to make commitments to give to our missions budget for 2022. And I need you to pray, and I need you to seek the Lord. And we don't have a, a financial goal in mind, like an amount in mind. Obedience is the goal obedience is the goal. God, you've given me this job to fund the spread of the gospel around the world. You've given me this income. How can I use it for your glory? And it may be that you lose one subscription service per month and you say, I'm going to take that $8 and I'm going to put it to use in God's kingdom. Whatever it is, I want you to pray and I want you to consider, God, how will you use me to help financially support missionaries around the world. I'm going to place a special challenge on families in our church in my demographic and younger. So age 28 and below, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Your laughs hurt. 
our missions budget and our general budget are significantly supported by senior adults in this church who give regularly and faithfully month after month after month. A lower percentage of that equation are people in my demographic and below, people with young kids. And there's always going to be a reason for us to not give. My kid has this. My kid, Kids are expensive. I get that. But our parents and grandparents who walked with Jesus as they were raising us, they understood how expensive things were, and they still made the commitment that God's kingdom was a priority in their budgeting. And so one of my prayers is that this year as we uh, make commitments for the missions budget for 2022 is that families with children, those who are not senior adults um, would make commitments, and those who have never given before would give this year faithfully and joyfully for the sake of the gospel to the nations. How do we get the gospel to the unreached? Here's what Paul tells the church in Rome and the church at South Shore. He says we get the gospel to the unreached by missionaries who go, by churches who support those missionaries financially, and third, God's mission is fulfilled by churches who pray and this is where I want to add emphasis this morning. The mission is fulfilled by churches who pray. Now here at the end of chapter 15, verses 30 through 33, um, Paul makes a second request of the church. His first request, I'm going to visit you and I need your help to get to Spain. His second request is, I need you to pray for me now. Fervently strive with me in prayer. Look at verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. And what does Paul want them to pray? Well, he tells them. He doesn't just say pray in general. He gives them three specific areas of prayer. The first in verse 31 is he wants them to pray for his protection from his opponents as he gets back into Jerusalem with this gift for the starving church. He is a wanted man in that region. And so he says, pray for my protection from these enemies. Second, he wants his ministry in Jerusalem to be fruitful, to be well-received. For the mother church to see what the daughter church has provided and for, for there to be joy and unity among all of those Christians. The third thing he asks in verse 32 is that the Roman church would pray that he will make it back to them both for his joy and for his rest as he prepares to go to Spain. So three requests, protection from enemies, a good reception among believers in Jerusalem, and then a safe journey back to Rome. And all of these requests are needs that anticipate his trip to Spain. He needs protection from enemies to get to Spain. He wants great reception in Jerusalem to get to Spain. He wants to visit the church in Rome to get to Spain. The prayers that he is asking for are prayers that open the doors of opportunity for him to take the gospel to Spain. And in praying this way, Paul tells the church in Rome, you are partners with me in this work. He's told them, I need you to strive together with me. Your translation might say something to, along the lines of struggling with me or join me in this struggle to see the gospel go where Christ has not been named. Now, the question we would ask at this point is, does the Bible expect churches everywhere and always to partner with missionaries by praying for the gospel work among the unreached? And the answer from the New Testament is a resounding yes. 
In multiple places in Paul's letters, he asks readers to pray for him and his co-workers. And Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 9, told his followers to pray for gospel laborers to be sent with the good news among those who have not heard. Now, there are several things that should be present in a Christian church's DNA. Any church that carries the label Christian, there are just foundational activities that should be present in that group of people. Those churches should worship, and we should fellowship, and we should disciple believers, and we should care for the hurting. And according to the Bible, we must pray for the gospel to go to the unreached. Not just generically pray, specifically pray, God, take the gospel where Christ is not known. And what precisely are we praying about when it comes to missions, when it comes to getting the gospel to the nations? Well, I want to share with you some information to help you understand how significant the need is and how important it is that South Shore Baptist Church is made up of men and women who walk with Christ and pray intentionally, specifically, regularly for the gospel to be made known among the unreached. Uh, I want to share with you some information on the status of global evangelism. It comes from a a small report put out by an organization called the Joshua Project. Uh, I've printed off a few of these papers and put them at the welcome table. You can find them out there. Or if you visit joshuaproject.net, Uh, you can find this on their website as well. So what are we talking about when we talk about unreached people groups? Well, first of all, we need to define the very term. And the term unreached, there's not a solid definition. It's a moving target as to what, what is considered unreached and what is considered reached. But this is a general definition, a generally accepted definition of unreached. It's less than 2% of Christ followers in a given population and less than 5% professing Christian. And you might think those two are the same, but they're not. It's one thing to be a professing Christian or to live in what some might call a Christian culture. Uh, So you carry a Christian label on a census if they were to ask you, are you Muslim, are you Jewish, are you Christian, are you whatever, you would check the Christian box. There's a difference, though, between carrying the label Christian and being a follower of Jesus Christ. We know that just right here in our own area. And so unreached people groups are those who have less than 2% of Christ followers, less than 5% professing Christians. On the next slide, the total number of people groups estimated right now in the world is 17,400 different people groups. And among those people groups, the numbers of those that are considered unreached are 7,400 or 42.5% of the global population. 42.5% of people groups are considered unreached. I want to show you some of the countries that have the most unreached people groups, both in number and in ways by percentage. China has a total of 544 total people groups. 443 of those people groups are unreached. That's how you would read that line. 81% of their people groups unreached with the gospel. In Bangladesh, 299 out of 331 are unreached. That's 90%. In India, 2,445 out of 2,717 are unreached. That's 90% of the population. And in Pakistan, 504 out of 512 are unreached. That's 98% 
of their population. On the next slide I shared with you at the beginning of this message, the world population right now estimated to be at 7.8 billion people. There are roughly 2.18 billion people who have virtually no exposure to the gospel, none at all. They don't have it in their language. They don't have uh, Christians living among them. They have virtually no exposure to the gospel. That's 28% of the global population. Christianity is growing at a rate of about 1.18% per year, whereas Islam is growing at a rate of about 1.92% per year. And 90% of cross-cultural missionaries are working among nominally Christian people groups, and less than 10% of cross-cultural missionaries are working among unreached people groups. There are many reasons why that is the case, but it, it just illustrates the point that not only are these people groups vastly unreached, we are suffering for laborers to go to them to get the gospel in a language they can understand and to live in ways that can communicate the love of Christ to these people. Mike already mentioned this morning the banners uh, around this room, the black banners that are here. They are covered in the names of unreached people groups, organized according to country, and then under each country you've got the name of the people group, their primary religion, and their estimated population within that country. And these names on these banners represent over half the world's population who do not know Jesus Christ. They have not heard the gospel. And what happens if the people on these banners die having never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, among many places, that if they do not call on the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. This is where you can push back and say, Cody, you don't really believe that, do you? You don't really believe that if someone dies having never heard the gospel, that God will actually send them to hell? That doesn't sound like a God who's loving, a God who's gracious, a God who's merciful. Why, why would he create someone just to see them destroyed? I do believe that. That's precisely what the Bible says. And I don't rejoice in it, and neither do you. I'm not glad that hell is real. And that people who don't call on the name of Christ will experience that torment forever. I'm not glad in it. But that truth fuels the evangelistic mission of the church. Why would we pray, God, take my kids and put them in a country where people have never heard the name of Jesus? Because if someone doesn't go, they will not hear, and they will die apart from Christ for all eternity. Why would we give pennies and dollars to year after year fund missionary work to these countries? Because if they don't hear the name of Christ, they have no chance at all of being saved. They are not saved by looking at a tree or considering the stars or doing the best with what they have. There's no one innocent, not one. And they do not get credit for worshiping false gods and idols made in their own images. They have to know the name of Jesus Christ. And we are tasked by God to see that job get done. If, if they could get to heaven by any other means, then these panels serve a different purpose. These would be the names that we would be telling you to avoid because we can guarantee they get to heaven if they never hear the name of Jesus. 
Take down the names, and if you see someone from that people group, don't talk about J-E-S-U-S. Leave them alone because they've got a ticket straight to heaven without any other intervention on our part. But the Bible makes it clear that salvation comes from hearing the gospel and by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is plan A for salvation. There's no plan B. God has saved us and sent us with a message of salvation through faith in Christ for all who believe. And if the task is going to be completed, it is completed by the prayers of a believing church. Just as Paul asked the Roman church to pray for his gospel work among the Gentiles, so we still pray for the spread of God's kingdom through indigenous believers and missionaries around the world. Sometimes prayer gets a negative reputation as a lazy person's work. Someone might smugly say, it doesn't really change anything. We need more than prayer. Praying may make you feel better, but it doesn't really get the job done around the world. Brothers and sisters, I warn you not to call cliche what the Bible calls essential. Prayer is only cliche for those who don't pray. So why is prayer so vital to this mission? I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm convinced from the Bible that there is a spiritual reality that we do not see or fully understand. Daniel chapter 10 speaks about this. As Daniel prays for God's work to be done, he's visited by a messenger from heaven that talks about the way his prayer has moved unseen realities in spiritual warfare. When we pray, we're not just lifting up quaint little wishes to the sky, we are imploring God to unleash the powers of heaven in a very real battle against an enemy that wants to see souls destroyed and people crushed. You are engaging in spiritual warfare when you hit your knees and lift up these names to the throne of God. Those bonds are broken. People hear and believe when the church in prayer engages in battle for the sake of these souls. Why is prayer so vital? Because without it, we're giving ground to the enemy. And Jesus has said, this is what we are to do. Another reason it's so vital is because when we pray in this way, it gives us a heart like God's. And when our hearts are aligned with God's, then we are living with indescribable joy this is what we were made for. God's mission is what we are created and saved for, to see the earth filled with his glory. And we are most alive when we are living for God's purposes. So when unreached peoples become reached, and when the lost become saved, and when the size of this wall shrinks from 20 panels to 15 to 10 panels and fewer, we will experience the greatest possible joy as we see heaven populated, God glorified, men and women made in his image, redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. Church, we have to pray. So God's mission, what, what is it? What are we here for? It's to see the gospel go to all people groups. That doesn't mean we ignore the South Shore or the places where we live, but it means our hearts are captured by a global vision to see the earth filled with the glory of God. And that mission is accomplished through missionaries and by churches who support them and by churches who partner in this work in prayer. And so my specific challenge to you today involves prayer. Will you commit to regular prayer for the missionaries our church supports as well as for the gospel to go to unreached people groups. 
And if you're going to commit to that sort of prayer on a regular basis, it's part of your normal prayer diet. If you're going to commit to that sort of prayer, you might need a few resources. Let me share with you a few resources that might help you educate yourself and equip you to pray for these people groups. One of them is a book, it's called Operation World. There's a copy of it on this pew over here and there's another copy uh, at the welcome table out in the lobby. And it is a thick book filled with profiles on unreached people groups. It gets updated and republished on a regular basis. If you're a book-having type of person, Operation World is something you should have uh, on your table next to your Bible. The website, joshuaproject.net, is an incredible resource of profiles and information on unreached people groups, uh, the status of world evangelism. Uh, it, it also has prayer guides and prompts. It is an incredible resource. Spend time there. There's two apps I would recommend. One app from the Joshua Project is called The Unreached of the Day. Every morning, uh, it will uh, send you a notification with information about an unreached people group that's being prayed for specifically that day. You click on the link, it takes you to a profile page, it tells you who they are, what they're like, what, what, what uh, the work around their area is like. Today's unreached people group, if you've got this app, is Emiratis in the UAE. And our church knows something about ministry in that place. So we're praying today for Emiratis to hear the gospel come to faith in Christ. Another app that I love is called IMB Pray. IMB stands for International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, a group that we choose to belong to. IMB Pray uh, updates daily with specific prayer needs from specific countries and missionaries in need. And they also have prayer guides for specific prayer groups there. My challenge is for you to pray specifically and regularly for the work of missionaries and unreached people groups. And, and I want to challenge you not just to pray in general, as if you were to say, God, be with the lost people in Africa. I want you to pray with a little more effort than that. So your prayer might instead be something like this. God, I pray for the Fulakunda people of Senegal. They are a non-literate people. Allow them to hear the gospel through oral scriptures and come to faith in Christ. And so, church, I ask you, will you pray for missionaries? Will you pray for the unreached? Will you partner for the spread of the gospel? Paul never made it to Spain. He went to Jerusalem, he was arrested, and he died at the hands of Roman authorities. And although Paul never made it to Spain, the gospel did. And that's what this map is. The colored areas... On this map, the darker shaded areas around the Mediterranean Sea show where Christianity had spread by the end of the third century. It made it to where Christ had not been named, and yet there was still so much more work to do, and that's still true today. Brothers and sisters, may we pray regularly and obsessively for the glory of God among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we start with confession that we have treated the work of prayer as too light, too little, too inconsequential, too small. And yet you tell us over and over in your word of how vital it is to the work that you've given us to do. So Lord, we confess that we have not prayed as we should.
And Lord, I pray repentance would be seen as we take up this cause to see the gospel go to the nations. And we fight that battle first and always through prayer. Lord, I pray that out of our church, you would continue to raise up among us people, young or used to be young, who are called into missionary service. Thank you for your infinite creativity by which you use those who say yes to your call. Lord, help these brothers and sisters as they sort out your call on their life. And God, I pray that in all things that define South Shore Baptist Church, that one thing that would become more and more important in the culture of this place and these people is our commitment to praying for missionaries and for the gospel to go to unreached people groups. Thank you for the relationships we have with people like Darren and Pam Prince, who we prayed for this morning, and others like them who are doing faithful, hard work through all kinds of struggles. Lord, let us struggle with them and strive with them in prayer. And Lord, beyond those that we support, give us a passion and a desire and an ache for those who have never heard the name of Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves to this work that we will pray individually and corporately to see the gospel go where Christ has not been named, that the earth will be filled with your glory. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.